0: I would ask you, if you would, please take your Bibles, turn together with me to uh, the Gospel of Mark. There are a few Sundays during the year that we take break from uh, our regular studies. We're studying the book of Hebrews, but this week and next week we will be taking a brief break from that. This being Palm Sunday, uh, we will be reading of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday. And we find it in Mark chapter 11, the first 11 verses. This is God's Word. It was when uh, the Holy Spirit inspired uh, Mark to write these words down to the church in the first century. It is God's Word to us here in Gainesville, Texas, on the other side of the world, speaking a different language in the 21st century. It is still God's Word. And so I'd ask you, out of respect and honor for God's word, stand together with me as we read from Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. As they approached uh, Jerusalem, they came to Bethage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell him, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and they found the colt outside in in the street, tied to at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing, untying the colt? And they answered as Jesus had told them, and the people let them go. And when they brought the colt to Jesus, they threw their cloaks over it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming of the kingdom of our father David! Hosanna in the highest! And Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Thus far, the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Now I know that uh, there... Was a televangelist several years ago who said that Jesus was going to perform with him on stage that summer. Wanted people to come. Jesus was going to come in the flesh and be a part of his crusades. And and we certainly know that that's that's uh, we, we don't do those sorts of things. We don't say those sorts of things. But I want you to suppose just for a minute here that it was possible that Jesus would come back here in the flesh. And then he would, before he comes in the clouds it his second coming, but, but he would come here in the flesh and he would be with us on a Sunday morning. And we were to know when it was going to be and we would tell you when it was going to be. He was going to come to Gainesville, he was going to come to Westminster Presbyterian Church. What kind of a reception would you give him? As soon as we announced it and you knew that it was true, this wasn't the televangelist sort of thing. As soon as we announced it and you knew it was true, would you open up your your calendars and you say, I don't care what's going on that weekend. I got to be there, right? Or would you look at it and go, that date, well that's a day when there's a Monday holiday. That's a three-day, That's a three-day weekend. I got other things to do. It's more important. Or maybe you would look at that date and you go, "Well, you know what?" That day is the day when there's you know, one of my favorite musicians playing a concert out of town on that Saturday night, and I've already made reservations to, to stay at the hotel there that night. I just can't make it that day. Would you be excited about Jesus coming? Would you be thrilled about it? What, what, would, your, what would your reaction be? Would you be more thrilled if maybe um, the, the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys Prescott, still Prescott, right? Would you be more excited if he came? Or maybe one of your favorite country musicians would come? Would that get more excitement out of you? We see in today's text the king coming into Jerusalem. Rumors had been circling about him. We've heard he heals the sick. We've heard that most recently he even went to a funeral of his good friend Lazarus who had already been dead for four days and he had even raised Lazarus from the dead. People get pretty excited to hear these things. Surely this is the king and if he's able to raise a person who's been dead for four days, certainly he's going to be able to kick out the Romans, right? He'll be our king. We're ready to set him up as king. Well, up to this point in Jesus' ministry, he's always tried to keep a low profile about this king thing. We see in John chapter six, Jesus feeds 5,000 with a couple of loaves of bread and some fish. And at the end, he knows what they're doing. He says they're ready to, to come and make him king. And so what does he do instead of saying, I'm ready, you just saw this amazing miracle. You know what I can do, so make me king. No, he, he gets away, he leaves and, and goes into hiding so they don't find him and try to force him into being king. We see it in other places where, where Jesus will do miracles and they're ready to set him up as king and he's saying, no, not now. We see at uh, Peter's confession of who Jesus is and he, he says, and now keep it to yourselves right now. At the transfiguration where Jesus takes uh, his disciples up on the mountain and they see him glorified and they're standing in awe, so much so that uh, Peter, once again, has got his foot in his mouth. He says, let's make three tabernacles, you know. Let's, let's make three altars here to worship, uh, um, you know, Moses and Elijah and, and Jesus. But Jesus is always telling them, keep this quiet. Keep this to yourselves. Don't let the word get out. He knows that if word gets out about these things, just like feeding of 5,000, they're ready making kings. king. Raising Lazarus from the dead, they're ready to make him king. And it's not time yet. But here, as Jesus gets ready to enter into Jerusalem at this Passover season, he does something amazing. He kind of tells his disciples, last minute, we're going. And as as he's getting ready to go, he tells his disciples, you you go into the city here. You're going to find a colt. And no one's ever ridden it. Bring him here. Jesus walks everywhere unless he's on a boat, right? Everywhere he goes, he he travels. He's either walking or he's in a boat. It's the only place we see him transported with anything else. But he, he gets his donkey, and it's not because he's so weary at this point. He could have gladly, easily walked into Jerusalem with his disciples. But he gets this colt to ride on because he knows it is a fulfillment of prophecy. And he knows that everyone there is going to know the prophecy from Zechariah chapter 9. That the, the that their king is going to come riding in on the donkey's colt. Jesus is very aware of this. He's been trying to keep a low profile all this time. Now he's getting the, the highest profile you can. I'm going to come riding into Jerusalem on this donkey's colt. Thus telling everybody, your king is here. Right? Everybody will know. It's the fulfillment of the prophecy. Now the way they responded to him coming in that first, uh, or that that Palm Sunday, is, is kind of interesting. I've seen at least four different ways, four different types of responses, and, and some of the people give the same responses, four of the different responses. And this morning, as we uh, remember... Jesus is entering into the city that day, and if we look at their responses, I want us to consider what is our response to Jesus. What would our response be to Him actually coming? What will be our response to Him living for Him on a daily basis? And so, with that in mind, you've got an outline in your bulletin. You see the uh, the different ways, the different types. Uh, responses the people had to their uh, coming king. The first uh, response that I want us to notice we see right off the bat here in, in uh, Mark chapter 11 is obedience. We see it in the first six verses uh, of, of the uh, chapter here where Jesus tells his disciples I want you to go into the city and when you get there you're going to find a, a cult and I want you to bring it to me. What do his disciples do? Do they say, Kind of odd. Why do you want us to do that, Jesus? In the Revolutionary War, during the Revolutionary War, um, at uh, th- there was one winter that was very harsh, and uh, so um, George Washington and his forces were all all gathered there, and uh, there came this this German, um or Prussian he said he was a general, he actually wasn't a general, Uh, Baron von Steuben, maybe you've heard of Baron von Steuben. Well, he came to instruct the American forces so that they would become a military force equal to that of of the uh, British, British, thank you. Equal to that of the British. And as he's instructing, he doesn't speak any English. He speaks his German. When he would give his instructions, he would give it to someone, they would translate it into French, and then the pers- then someone else who knew English and French would translate the French into English so that they would know how to do it. Interesting thing is, is von Steuben during that winter at Valley Forge, he, uh, he wrote a letter home, and he said, you know, back in Prussia, back in Germany, when you tell uh, your soldiers to do something, they do it. He says, but here, here in America, I'm obliged that when I tell the soldiers to do something, I have to tell them why, or they won't do it. Is, is that the way we are as, as Americans? Is that the way we are as Christians? Jesus says, I want you to to do this, and you say, why? Why do I have to do this? Maybe... It has to do with going through trials and temptations and difficulties in your life. And you say, Lord, I don't quite understand these circumstances I'm going through. These trials, they're too difficult on me. Why is this happening? All I've ever tried to do, all I ever want to do is, is serve you, and now this comes on me? Why? The Lord's not obligated to tell us why, but he has He's actually told us throughout the New Testament. Jesus tells us, Paul tells us, Peter tells us, James tells us, John tells us. They all tell us that as Christians, we're going to go through difficult times. So when we encounter them, Peter says, you shouldn't think it's something odd. You shouldn't think it's something strange. You don't have to ask why. God's ordained this for you. Paul even says that God has ordained for us not only to believe, but also to suffer for him. So when these kinds of things come, we shouldn't have to ask why. Well, the disciples, when Jesus tells them, maybe it's a little speculation, but they don't seem to ask why. It's not there anywhere. He just says, go and do it, and they go and do it, right? They go and they and they find the, the cult. They're obedient to Jesus, who's their master. And when they meet uh, the, the cult and the people there, and they ask. And the people who are there ask, why are you untying that colt? They respond exactly like Jesus has said, again, out of obedience. And they get to take the, uh, they get to take the donkey. No asking why. They just do it. No excuses why they can't do it. They just do it. Obedience is a proper response to our Lord Jesus, and the disciples do it. We see not only the disciples being obedient, but if we were to go into a synoptic account of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, in uh, Luke chapter 19, we see where they go into the city and they go to the to to take the colt and they start untying it, and it says that the owners of the colt are one that asked them what they were doing. The owners of the colt. Now I'm not sure if this was uh, just some sort of miraculous thing where God uh, illumined the owners of the cult, but it could quite possibly be that Jesus had already made arrangements with them, told them well, this is gonna happen. Don't know for sure, but when the disciples come and they answer as Jesus has told them to, what do the owners of the cult do? They say, here, we gotta, we, you gotta sign this contract that you're bringing him back, right? There's none of that, just out of obedience. The Lord has need of it if the Lord has need of it, go. Yeah. Obedience, right? Whatever the Lord needs, whatever the Lord needs of me, I'm, I want to be obedient to doing that. So we see here in this triumphal entry on that uh, Palm Sunday, that first Palm Sunday, certainly some obedience going on uh, among the disciples and among the owners of, of the cult as well. Secondly, we see not only the obedience, but we see excitement beginning to take place here. We see it in verses 7 through 10 here, where when Jesus is is going out, there are two groups of people, actually those going with him from Bethany and those who have been in Jerusalem. Here he's coming, and they're coming out to meet him, but they're all excited about him coming. And what they do is they go and they find these palm branches, thus we call it Palm Sunday because they're all holding these palm branches and laying them before the, the, the colt as he rides in. Palm branches have quite a bit of significance for them. There is, it would be kind of similar to in Gainesville when we have the Medal of Honor parade down uh, California Street there. And all the people along the sides of the route are standing there holding and waving American flags. We're excited about this. This is quite a patriotic thing. Well, that's similar to what they were doing with these palms. It was a a, a symbolism of, and and almost like waving a flag um, to their king who's coming in. Unless we call it Palm Sunday because they're bringing all these palms out. But not only are they being very patriotic with with the palms and waving them and laying them before um, the Lord, they're also taking their coats. Cloaks and taking them off and putting them on the donkey for Jesus to ride on, but they're also taking them and putting them on the path for him to come. What's that all about? We find a similar uh, sort of situation in 2 Kings chapter 9 where Jehu becomes king. And when Jehu is becoming king, the people are excited about it, and so they take off their cloaks and they, they lay them before, before the king as he ascends up to the throne. They're recognizing that their their king has come. And so they they start shouting out together, uh, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, This was something that they would do uh, as they they processed going to uh, um, Passover each year. They would sing out the Hillel Psalms. The Hillel Psalms were the Psalms 113 to 118. And so this is part of of the Hillel Psalms, and they're they're shouting it out to one another. Hosanna, which Hosanna um, means something similar to save now. Lord, save us. Save us now. And so they're saying, this is the one who's come to save us. Save us now. Lord, use this one to save us. And their excitement uh, just bubbles over in the laying of the palms and their cloaks and the and the, the shouting out and singing the Hillel Psalms regarding Jesus who's coming in as the king. Blessed is, is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. This is the one we're so excited to see our king coming. They're thrilled about it. Thrilled to see Jesus. Thrilled to see him coming. Thrilled to see him riding on on the colt. Thrilled to see that maybe now, finally, he's going to stop uh, downplaying it, but, but take on the role that we know he's, he's here for. And there's excitement about it. You know that every Sunday when we come to worship together, we get to come meet the King. That's what it's all about. We've come to meet the king. We read his word. We see what his word tells us, and he's speaking to us through his word. Do you ever get excited about it? Do you remember when you first became a Christian? You were in that excitement period, thinking, boy, what a sinner I am. What amazing work God has done to save me from my sins. What I deserve is his wrath, and what He has given me is all his riches. All the inheritance that Jesus Christ is mine, too an amazing thing. Remember the excitement you once had? Is it still there to come? Is it still there to come to be a part of the worship of our Lord Jesus who is our King? It's what we do. It's what we should be doing on Sunday mornings. Coming to worship Him. Coming into His presence by the way provided for us through His work as our High Priest. We've been studying in Well, what happens here on that first um, Palm Sunday? Jesus has told his uh, disciples to obey. They obey. There's obedience going on. Then there's all this excitement about the king coming in. And then I find it interesting in verse 11. Jesus enters Jerusalem, and he went to the temple. And he looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went to Bethany with the twelve. Who's there with Jesus. What happened to all of this crowd that was, was uh, laying the palms before him, laying their coats before him, and were shouting out, "Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord." Where are the? Where are they now that Jesus has finally come to the temple? Where are they? It seems that he's here with his disciples. They're still there with him, but we don't see any of the rest of the folks. What happened to all of that excitement? Well, maybe they're thinking, you know, Passover is coming. We got to get home and clean up our house, and uh, we got to prepare for the family who's coming in from out of town. We got to begin to get the meals ready, and all of these things. And I know that Jesus, the King, is here, and that was kind of exciting. We've seen him now. We can go about our daily business, right? So it goes from excitement to a type of uh, almost apathy. It's gone, the excitement. Maybe we can go from this place this morning, remembering about Jesus coming in on Palm Sunday as king, and remember that he is our king too, and that we've come to meet him, and and maybe we can get some excitement going on. But by the time we get to the restaurant after worship, we're only thinking about beating the Baptist there, right? The excitement of Jesus seems to be gone. And now I'm thinking about where do we want to eat? What can I order? Is there anything good on television this afternoon? Am I gonna be able to get my nap? And the excitement of Jesus seems to wane so quickly when the concerns of this life pour in on us and all the different things that we have to do. We're controlled in our society by entertainment You know that uh, uh, this this is a study that was done several years ago, um, but people who in the, in uh, marketing realize that if you put a commercial on television, you dare not let the same scene stay for four seconds. Four seconds is the cutoff. You got to change the scene, or you're going to lose your audience. That's how that's how uh, attached our mind is to being able to. Four seconds. And so it's so easy for us, with our minds so filled with the media and all the things and all the entertainments that are out there, to let our excitement about Jesus wane and we can even become so apathetic. And we can begin to put so many things ahead of him and say so many other things are more important than King Jesus. And so we can leave and leave him at the temple with his disciples. It's just kind of, uh, yes, we were excited, but that excitement's kind of gone now. That was yesterday. Now something different. Well, it doesn't take long, I think, for apathy to lead to another reaction. And it's not here on the first day, but it's just a few days later, isn't it? We see it in Mark chapter 15, find it in Matthew chapter 27, we find it in the other uh, Gospels as well. They've gone from obedience to excitement to kind of a bit of apathy, and I think the apathy builds on itself. And then it's to a bit of rejection. So we find in Mark chapter 15, these people who are so excited with Jesus coming in, so many of them excited about their King coming, now in chapter 15... They're rejecting him. And they're saying crucify him, away with him. Pilate, you say he's our king. We have no king but Caesar. What has happened? Well, their apathy about Jesus I think leads to wondering, what is he doing for me right now? (laughs) What's Jesus doing for me? We wanted him to come in and kick out the Romans. He's talking about odd things. He's not talking about booting the Romans out. He's even possibly saying we should be paying taxes to Caesar. What's up with this? He's not doing what we want him to do. You see, on Palm Sunday, they all had the lapel pins try Jesus. (laughs) And so they were going to try him for a while, but when Jesus doesn't come and meet exactly what they think he should be doing for them, He's not there to boot the Romans out. We may say try Jesus and Jesus doesn't doesn't give us the new job that we wanted. We try Jesus and he doesn't allow us to have the home that we wanted. We try Jesus and our children don't exactly turn out the way that we wanted to. And Jesus just isn't working for us. We try him but he's not working. And so, well... Maybe we reject him now. And maybe we wouldn't say kill him, but we certainly don't want him invading our life in any way. We don't want to have to go about living a daily life as a living sacrifice to him. Being transformed by the renewing of our mind on a regular basis. We don't want that. We want Jesus out of our lives. Leave me alone. Sunday is mine. My money is mine. The entertainment that I want is mine. I think uh, think that what kind of seems to be going on here, from excitement to apathy, I think apathy will always bring ultimately a rejection of Jesus. A rejection to an extreme here where they say, crucify him, crucify. Well, I want you to know this morning the king has come and that even this morning, even right now, he is seated on the throne at the right hand of God the Father. He is our king. His accomplishments in Jerusalem made it possible for us to come into his kingdom and worship him as king. The day is coming when he will return as king. We don't know the day or hour. The Lord tells us that. No one knows the day or hour. But when he comes, how do you want him to find you? What do you want him to find you doing? Do you want him to find you excited about him and so excited that you are going to be obedient to him in every way that you know how? In, in looking at his law and saying, Lord, it's not by obeying your law that I become your child. I am your child. I know what you want of me. Therefore, I'm going to do it because it pleases me. And I know it pleases you. Or are you going to say, no, Lord, my life is mine. I'll, uh, I'll give you maybe an hour a week. My life is really mine, or is it just going to be? I, I can't even quite give you that, Lord. You demand too much. You're rejecting him. He is king. He has come. He is seated on his throne, and he is coming again. How are you responding to your king today? Well, I hope it's one that's a response that is obedience and excitement to the fact that we have a king Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, this morning as we look at that uh, very first um, day, which we call Palm Sunday, look at uh, our Lord Jesus coming in, riding on a donkey's colt, uh, affirming that yes, indeed, he is the king. Lord, I pray this morning that we would recognize that he is our king, even now. Seated at your right hand, and that we, instead of being apathetic about him, and In so many ways rejecting him that we would be ones who would be saying, I want to be obedient to all that you have called me to do. I'm excited about my King. I'm excited about serving him. I'm excited about being a part of His kingdom. Lord, would you send your spirit into our lives to to illumine our minds, open our hearts, change our lives so that we would we would show that excitement at all times. For your honor and glory, we pray. Amen.
1: Turn to number 441. Let us stand as we sing. Jesus shall reign.
0: grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.